So I call this message the path to Easter. I'm kind of hoping to give everybody a jumping off place to uh, start uh, studying uh, the word uh, on this uh, Easter uh, week. Uh, the main message is going to come from John 13. So if you want to go over there and stick a finger in or a marker place, and uh, we'll wander around for a little bit, but I promise you I'll get to John 13 eventually. Uh, so John is uh, called one of the non-synoptic, or the only non-synoptic Gospels. The first three Gospels are considered synoptic because synoptic means from the same point of view. And so uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the same point of view, each tell pretty much the same stories, and in the same sequence. Uh, John has a different uh, way of presenting the Gospel, and we'll look at why he does it uh, in, uh, uh, in just a minute. Uh, a lot of people speculate that it was because John was actually the last gospel uh, that was written. It was written in, in uh, about 95 uh, uh, after uh, Christ's death. And uh, I don't think that's it is. I think it actually tells us in the scripture why it was written. But we'll get to there. Uh, so uh, I, I want to start it in uh, John uh, 1. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. Did you hear that? was in the beginning was well isn't the beginning the start was is past tense god is backwards eternal that's a concept that a lot of people have trouble with i heard the scientists have stole part of this theory they're calling it the god particle did anybody hear this on the news it's like this particle that makes matter out of nothing and so i'd say well what made the god particle so, so, so John is starting his gospel with an affirmation that Jesus is backwards eternal. He always has been here. A lot of people say that uh, John doesn't have the Christmas story, but it does. It's just succinct. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the first uh, 11 chapters of John cover three years of his works on earth and has seven significant signs, the last sign being raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and then uh, I want you to turn to uh, John 11, uh, uh, verse 53. And after he lay, raised Lazarus from the dead, the Jews started persecuting him even more. And it tells us uh, in uh, verse 53, then from that day on, they, being the Jews, plotted to put him to death Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews. Okay, so the first 11 chapters of John cover his three-year ministry here on earth. And the last 10 chapters cover his last week on earth. And like I said, we're going to cover John 13. I promise you I'll get there in just a second. Okay, so uh, I want to look at uh, chapter 12. This is one of the, one of the stories of Jesus' life that is in all four Gospels, and that speaks to its significance. Um, uh, verse 12 in uh, chapter 12, Then the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took out branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Uh, interesting uh, fact is, although all four Gospels have this story, John is the only one that mentions that they cut palm branches. So we can thank the Gospel of John for this being Palm Sunday. 
Uh, so we'll, let's turn over to uh, chapter 13. And so uh, we're going to see four movements in this chapter. We're going to see where Jesus washes the feet of the disciple. And we'll see that the feet really talk about our walk and the way we need to be cleansed daily. We're going to see Judas identified as the betrayer. We're going to see the start of the upper room discourse. And we're just going to start it. Now, we'll finish chapter 13. If you read 14, 15, 16, and 17, you'll finish the upper room discourse by the, by the time you come to uh, Good Friday. And then you'll be at uh, the betrayal and crucifixion. So I'd encourage you to do that. It's a wonderful study. And so uh, uh, chapter 13, verse uh, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus had knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay, so this verse tells us exactly why he's about to wash the disciples' feet. So what does it say? Jesus knew that his hour had come. First reason. He knew that he should soon depart is the second reason. He loved his own, third reason, and he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, uh, Simon's son, to betray him. So he'd already seen the provocation of the devil and had succumbed to it. By the way, that didn't stop Jesus from washing his feet. Uh, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garment, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel. Then he said to Simon Peter, then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Question him. He can't believe the teacher is in this uh, position of a servant, washing the disciples' feet. And Peter doesn't know what's going on and he challenges the Lord. Uh, and Jesus answered him, said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. After what? After this section? No. After Christ dies on the cross, comes back, and then goes to uh, heaven, and the Holy Spirit is given, and the Holy Spirit teaches him everything. That's when... Peter will really understand what's happening here. Peter still doesn't get it. He says in verse 8, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Now listen up to this next part of this verse. This is what tells us that this isn't just about cleanliness. This isn't a story of being humble. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. If I do not wash you, you will have no part of me. What does that mean? If he's not washed in the blood. When, when, when Jesus is going to die on the cross the next day, after he's tried. If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Simon is enthusiastic, but he still doesn't get it. He said, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, now, this next first verse 10 is going to tell us what's going on here. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed, talking about the person that's saved, 
needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, talking to 11 of the disciples. But not all of you. So he's in, he knows that Judas is not clean. Judas hasn't believed the message. Judas has walked with him. Yeah, Judas has walked with him. He's walked with him for three years. But he hasn't believed. But not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. And therefore he said, you are not clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garment and set them down, he said to him, do you know what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you as an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, if you've got the Old Testament, it says verily, verily. Most assuredly, certain, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the, the one who sent him. Listen, verse 17. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 12 tells us, uh, uh, let him that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. So what, what's he talking about here? The, the feet is our walk. Or walk with Lord, with the Lord, and as we walk with the Lord, we're going to need daily cleansing. We don't need to be saved again, but we're going to sin, and when we sin, what should we do? First John one nine tells us what we should do: if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll clean up that walk. He'll clean up your path. 2 Corinthians 12.10 tells us, When I am weak, then I am strong. James 4.7 says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, how do you resist the devil? What what did it say? Uh, For I have given you as an example that you should do as I have done. What does that mean if this is about cleansing? If this is about cleaning up your wall, what what does that verse mean? I'll tell you what it means. Uh, James 5.16 tells us, confess your trespasses to one another. Really? I thought I was supposed to hide my weaknesses. I'm supposed to confess my weaknesses to one another. Yeah, if you're weak in an area, you need that accountability partner, someone that you can confess your sins to, someone that can make you strong. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's what we should do, guys. We should support each other. We're going to see here in a few seconds when we get to our few minutes when we get to the start of the upper room discourse the first commandment is going to be love we should love one another in order to have an effective uh, path or effective walk with the Lord we have to go to him daily and uh, confess our sins if we need an accountability partner find one 
the devil, well, just like, like, like Judas, that's the reason he's in this story. He has been provoked and he's going to sin. He has succumbed to that provocation. What did James say? 4-7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You've got to resist him when it's at that provocation stage. Once he convinces you to do something, you're going to do it. And you know what? When you do it, he's going to tell you, how could you do such a thing? You call yourself a Christian and you did that? I wouldn't show my face in church. I bet they probably know. No, run to church. Run to church. Find your accountability partner. Find your brother. Ask him to pray for you. That's what you should do. And what is it? Verse 17. If you know these things, what we've just talked about, that you need that daily cleansing, happy are you if you do them. Why are you happy if you do them? Because it takes that sin away. It takes that guilt away. And you can be happy. Verse 18. We're moving into the second movement in uh, John 13. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know who I have chosen, talking about Judas, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Right? He's telling him what's going to happen, that he's going to be betrayed. Most assuredly, again, most assuredly, if you've got the Old Testament, it says verily, verily. What does that mean? Absolutely, positively. I say to you, he who receives whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who he sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit, and I said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He, he, he wants to separate now from Judas because he's about to start the upper room discourse. That's the reason he's troubled. And, and, and let's be clear on one thing. You know, Jesus knew all things. He knows all things. He didn't make Judas do this. Judas chose to do it. Jesus just knows that he's going to do it. So let's be clear about that. So he was troubled in spirit and testified, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Judas had walked with these people for three years. And they didn't know who was going to betray him. One of the other gospels says, "Is it?" said the disciples say, Is it I, Lord? Because they knew what was in their heart. Every one of them knew that, that, they, that they had uh, a potential to do such a thing. Maybe they had all been provoked and not succumbed. Maybe they had resisted. I, I don't know. But it tells us that they all questioned, was it them? Uh, now there was leaning on the Jesus' Jesus's bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now we all know this is John. Well, what well, well, did John... Did Jesus love John more than any of them? He didn't. 
but John felt his love more than any of the disciples because that's what he that's what he calls himself, and everywhere where he mentions himself, he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask, "Who is it of whom you spoke?" And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, "Lord, who is it?" Jesus answered, "It is he to whom I have given a piece of bread." When I dipped it, sopped it in, in wine, and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after eating uh, the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. That should have been the warning for him. Do it quickly. Get it over with. No, it didn't. He's, he, he's too late to turn back. But no one at the table knew uh, what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy uh, these things we need for the feast, or that we should give something to the poor. So having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. Okay, so so Judas is gone to do what Judas is going to do. And uh, at this point in time, we're going to the third movement in this chapter. And this is actually where what's called the Upper Room Discourse, or Christ's Final Discourse, starts. Peter will interrupt him, as Peter has a tendency to do. But it, this is going to start the Upper Room Discourse. Actually, the next four chapters are a continuous talk from Jesus uh, to his disciples, but also to us. And so if you read a chapter a day, okay, Thursday, you're going to be through with the Upper Room Discourse. You're going to be ready for the betrayal. I'm trying to give you a jumping off point to get, get you in the Word. Uh, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in itself and glorify him immediately. Little children, talking to the disciples. He considered them his children. I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot go. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. But this, by this, all will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. This isn't the first time that he said this. So it's not a new commandment in, in the sense that it's the first time that the people have heard it. It's a new commandment in the sense of the importance that Jesus is giving this commandment. And that he's starting the upper room discourse with the commandment that they love one another. That's the easiest thing to say. You know, we've got Christian love. It's the hardest thing to do because we're called not to just love the beautiful, not to just love the ones that are easy to love. We're called to love everyone. And that's the way that they'll know we're Christians, by our love. Right? That's the way they'll know we're Christians, by our love. Peter uh, doesn't get it, though. 
moving to the final movement in this chapter. Uh, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? It's almost like a kid. Everybody remember when their kids were young? I do. It's a long time ago, but I remember. Where are you going, Dad? Can I go with you? It's almost like what Peter's saying, right? Where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And he would. He would in his time of strength because his strength was was in himself. He takes a sword and cuts a guy's ear off. He's probably trying to cut the head off, but he just gets an ear. But he would. But he's going to be weak. Because why? Because Peter's... At this point in time, Simon Peter is relying on his flesh and not on the Lord. If you, if you start the study I'm talking about, Sunday you'll see Peter restored and you'll see that he's no longer uh, in his flesh, but he's in the spirit. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, again, most assuredly, Old Testament says verily, verily. What does that mean? It's going to happen. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. That's in the chapter 13. Peter, by the way, doesn't interrupt anymore. The next four chapters are continuous uh, talk from Jesus. Uh, when you're reading chapter 14, You'll see that he tells us about being the way, the truth, and the life. Verse uh, Chapter 15, you'll see love and joy perfected. Chapter 16, the Holy Spirit promised. Chapter 17 will be uh, Jesus praying for himself and the disciples and us. And then when you get to uh, Good Friday, you'll see Jesus betrayed and tried. Saturday crucified, and then you'll be to the empty tomb on Sunday, and you'll have a wonderful path or a walk uh, with the Lord through the next week. Uh, now, I promised you I'd tell you why uh, Jesus wrote these things, or why did John, under, under godly inspiration, write these things. If you turn to chapter uh, 20, uh, verse 30, And uh, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Church, uh, what will the world tell you? The world will tell you there's many ways to God. All you got to do is just believe. Whatever you believe really hard. You know, if you really believe it, you know, it's going to work out for you. I'm telling you, that is not what 
my Bible teaches. We, we read it today, and there was a reason we read John uh, 3.16 today. What does John 3.16, 17, and 18 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Amen. But he who does not believe, meaning if you believe something else, but he who does not believe, believe in what? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I don't see it teaching that you just got to believe in anything, right? You got to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, once you're saved, do you have to get saved again? No. But, but you're going you're gonna to stumble and you're going to fall. Jesus taught it. What we didn't see, what we didn't see in the talk where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, we didn't see that two people were fallen, right? Judas was going to betray him. He was identified as not believing. Simon's going to deny him three times. He wasn't called out. No. Jesus said, what did he say? That if you're bathed, you only need your feet clean. Knowing that Simon Peter was going to deny him three times, he said that. So, so, so that's our promise. That when we fall, we've got a God we can turn to. And we've got a Savior, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross for our sins. That's there to forgive those things. Remember what we said, uh, James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Go to your brothers. Let your brothers pray for you. Come to me after church if you want somebody to pray for you. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Does it say we won't sin? I hope not. Because <laughs> I have, right? But what does it say? No condemnation. Right? Let me read that again. Romans 8.1. You might want to mark that. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's us. Hopefully. Can be. Does it mean we won't sin? Does it mean we won't stumble our toe? No, it doesn't mean that. 
sin every day. We've got to have our feet washed, clean up that path, get back on the right path, right? If you turn away, turn back. Come back while there's time, right? There's not many ways, right? The world will tell you there's many ways. Just believe it. No. If you don't believe, you're condemned already because you haven't believed. Church, I'm convinced the time is short. Convinced of that. I can look at what's going on in the world today and tell that the time is short. Now's the time to walk that good path, to have that accountability partner, to stay away from sin. Try not to sin. But if you do sin, don't believe the devil's lies. He's going to tell you, man, how can you go to church? How can you do that? How can you sit in this bar on Saturday night and go to church Sunday morning? How can you do that? Well, I can do that. I can ask my brothers to pray for me. I can ask them. I can pray, and he'll forgive my sins, right? Amen? He's there. We're going to see on uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday. He's not in the tomb, right? He's risen, Lord. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we want to thank you uh, that your word is true. Lord, we want to thank you that you uh, sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, and we just ask that you be with us as we go through our daily walk and, and that you uh, show us where uh, we are uh, short and, uh, uh, Lord, uh, forgive our sins, Lord. And let us uh, uh, go to our brothers and have them pray for us when we need help. Uh, Lord, and it's in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.